0: Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! (laughs) Hello, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens! The podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode five. And in this show, I'm heading over to the multiplex to give The Last Exorcism a thorough once-over. And then, I'm going to be taking you backstage with Vincent Price in the Theater of Blood. So pull on a pair of your finest banana pants because the fun's getting started
1: right after this. In the darkness of a hot summer night in 1873, in the crowded tenements of Manhattan, Nicholas Ryan and his sister Mary were brutally murdered. The savage and bizarre nature of the crime was shocking, even for the notorious Five Points District. The entire city held its breath in fear. The murderer was never found. The Theatre presents the Lower East Side Murder Mystery, The Ryan Case. Based on an actual, historical, unsolved murder, in which you take the role of detective searching the bustling streets of modern-day Manhattan. Scour dark alleys and seedy lairs to hunt down a host of dubious suspects. Search for clues, unearth the truth, bring justice to the slain. Come live out the Lower East Side Murder Mystery every Saturday night at 6pm all summer long. For more information or to order tickets, visit www.liveintheatre.com or call 212-780-4787. History couldn't catch this fiendish killer, can you? Exorcism is alive and
2: well. The Bible is filled with demons. If you believe in God, you have to believe in the devil. We're looking for the Sweetser farm. You want to make a U-turn, and then I want you to go back where you came from. Jeez, go, go! Seems like the end of the road. Mr. Sweetser? How you doing? Gotten Marcus. You.
3: My wife died two years ago. It's quite a shock for Nell. Were you very close?
1: She was my best friend.
3: Somehow, the devil got in her.
0: Now, can you hear me?
1: Yeah.
0: Good, nothing to be nervous about. What
1: is that? It's coming to my skin. Please help. Get out of my... Let him come now.
0: It's Friday night. It is exactly the witching hour, and I just got back from my screening of The Last Exorcism. Damn, I burped. I had beer again. I'm not drunk like last week, but I'm, I'm burpy, obviously. Um, I'm trying not to make this a trend, but shut up. Okay, yeah, so uh, I just went to see The Last Exorcism, and... I don't know how I feel about it yet. Perfectly honestly, I have to think about it a while, but I'm gonna think while I talk to you. See how that's gonna work? Let's talk about the plot a bit. Uh, the story follows a former child preacher named Cotton Marcus. I keep wanting to call him Cotton Weary, but that's not the point right now. He's making a career as uh, a, a side career as an exorcist, like you do. What made him kind of interesting is that he has not lost his faith exactly, but he just he doesn't believe in the devil. He doesn't believe in exorcisms. However, he gives this whole plea to the camera, because it's documentary style. It's supposedly a documentary about him. He explains that he's performing a service to people who need it. You know, the whole psychological thing that happens, you know, they think they need an exorcism. So he performs what they think is an exorcism and mysteriously they get better. And plus he tells a story about how he read an article about an exorcism in Texas that had gone horribly wrong and a young boy was killed in the process, smothered to death. And he's saying that if I'm doing this, at least I know that the kids or the, the, the possessed people are going to be safe. He tells the camera crew that is following him that you know he gets letters all the time asking for people to come and help him. And he said the next letter that comes in... You're going to go with me. And that's how they wind up going to the Sweetzer farm. Sweetser. Okay. And, uh, yes, Mr. Sweetser thinks that his daughter, Nell, is possessed. Because she keeps walking around flashing her boobies to everyone and going, chick pie and in the wheel. Oh, wait, no, that's another movie. No, because his livestock has been showing up dead every night. You know, different cows and horses and chickens and ducks and geese. And they better scurry. Not the point right now. And he thinks it's his daughter to blame. So they go to investigate and wackiness ensues. What I thought was really interesting about this part, when Cotton starts to perform the exorcism, the faux exorcism on Nell, you find out that everything that he sold you early on in the film is a complete load of BS. All that stuff about being in it to save the children, to make sure nobody else dies, and to be performing a service. It's crap because he, you see that he's like, rigging up the whole room, wires to the bed to make it shake, speakers under the bed to make demon noises, you know, tricks and hocus pocus and nonsense. And then he winds up taking a wad of cash that must have $10,000 in it. So clearly he's not in it for spiritual salvation or psychological health or anything except theatrics and a chance to make some cash. Yet he's still a likable character. I thought this was a neat bit of writing. Anyway, I digress. Going into this, I have to say I was really hesitant. First of all, I was under the mistaken impression that this was directed by Eli Roth. It's not. It's produced. And um, I'm always hesitant going into an Eli Roth film. I don't hate him like lots of other people do, but I don't love him either. On the other hand, I was happy to be finally seeing it. I was supposed to see a free screening of it last week, but I got there and it was so freaking hot and swampy out that I thought it was going to die online. And then all of a sudden it started pouring and I'm like, you know what? F this. But we're not here to talk about me. Let's talk about the movie. They get to the house. They meet the family. They meet Nell. I like Nell. I like this actress a lot. She's got these big, brown, innocent-looking eyes. And she was really sweet and almost kind of too sweet you know, in this bumpkin kind of way. I felt bad for her because my particular audience, which was awful. These kids were so chatty, but I'll come back to that. Uh, every time she showed up on screen, they kept laughing at her, like, "Ah, look at her stupid face. Ah, 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 ah. But, okay, the audience was making it hard for me to appreciate the film, but I'm digressing again. I can understand laughing at her because she kind of looked like Michael Sarah would look like if he was a woman. Yeah, she kind of looks like Michael Sarah did in year one and he looked like a woman in that. so'm I'm, I'm gonna go with that idea. Anyway, I was hesitant going into this film. A, because of Eli Roth, B, because exorcism films, blah blah, boring, snore, the bar's been set, the bar's really high, and for the most part, for the past, what, 30, almost 40 years, the formula hasn't changed, there's always some kind of head spinning, there's always some kind of projectile vomiting, there's always some kind of, there's always somebody's mother sucking cocks in hell, you know what I'm talking about, so I said, no, right, it's gonna be more of that, and I have to give the filmmakers credit, they didn't exactly go that route. Yeah, there was some vomiting. Yeah, there was some dirty talk, but there were some surprises along the way. So thumbs up about that. At some point, though, the film stops being a documentary and it starts being one of those first person found footagey kind of films, even though they never say that. And it's not really clear when that happens. But eh, there's some logic flaws here that I won't get into because I'm thinking, OK, who added the musical stingers? who dubbed the sound in this first part of the documentary, but, you know, that's me being nitpicky. My big beef is why isn't anybody listening to the girl that plays the director? She's the one saying, you know, we really should go home. I don't think this is a good idea, Cotton. Um, why don't we just get out of here? Nobody listens to her, and, well, what happens, happens. I also have to give the filmmakers credit, because the character shows up at one point. He's a, he's a minor character, but his, his importance in the story is, is, is large. And as soon as he showed up on screen, I'm going, well, he's obviously gay. And it was bothering me. I'm like, gay? Gay? He was so obviously gay that when another character in the film just said flat out, well, he was obviously gay, that I breathed a sigh of relief that I wasn't being a cynical bitch. Like usual. Shut up! I also have to give whoever put the trailer together some credit because not everything in the movie wound up in the trailer. Not all the best pits wound up in there however there was some stuff in the trailer that wasn't in the movie at all and I don't know how I feel about that but I guess it's better than the other I have to confess I'm not really sure what happened at the end of the film And it's not because I wasn't following it. It's just because I couldn't hear it. This was, like I said, an incredibly, incredibly unpleasant audience. I know on my first show, I said how great it is to go to opening night in Times Square and New York City and how visceral it is. Well, it was visceral, but not in a good way. And I realized the difference. When I was talking before, I realized tonight that I was, excuse me, all the movies I was thinking of were R-rated. This was PG-13, so we got the babies out. So the babies are out to show off that they're out on a Friday night. We're going to talk tough and be rowdy. But God, shut up. The girl body. There was somebody behind me. I don't know if it was a boy or a girl, but literally did not stop talking the whole film. I was talking to the person next to him, but the weird thing was I didn't hear the person next to him say a freaking word the whole time. And I couldn't make out a word that this person was saying, but it was just whiny sounding. All I'm hearing is moo non-stop I'm like do you have Tourette's god but yeah by the end of the film everything had gotten so rowdy I couldn't hear a word of what was going on I kind of pieced together what happened but and I have to say it's not a twist ending per se because I'm not going to be one of those people that say oh yeah I saw it coming well technically yeah I noted something earlier on in the film and I said that's going to come up later But then I completely forgot about it till it came up, so I'm going to say they pulled one over on me. So good for you guys. Since I didn't have the best viewing experience, and I'm not 100% clear what was going on at the end, I don't feel comfortable saying yay or nay to the film. I'm going to say wait for video. I was really enjoying the first half, the documentary half. The characters are very involving. I really like this preacher guy, even though he was a slime ball. I like the setting. I like this whole Louisiana backwoods, rural setting the isolation of it, the strict religious nature of it—I like that. That was a cool place for me. Plus, there were two very sexy daddy characters to look at in the film. That always kind of passes the time nicely. Say, I like to listen to you preach, Mr. Cotton, and I wouldn't mind plowing your farm, Farmer Sweetsey. That was gross. And I really liked the girl who played Nell. I was very interested in the in in. The whole family dynamic going on there. My phone is blipping. Hold on a second, please. Ooh, send me, uh, someone sent me a voicemail for the show. But anyway, I, w- I was really involved in the first half of the movie. The first two-thirds of the movie, I'll even say. But I don't think you need to see it in the theater. But I do know this. Uh, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Devil, looks retarded. I didn't even know that was coming. I saw the trailer tonight, and it just looks stupid. It just looks stupid. It's combined to an elevator, which I don't mind in theory, the whole claustrophobia thing, that works for me, but it just seems like it's, it's not just in the elevator, it's in space. Like it looks like somehow he's gonna have all these special effects and twisty things, and I just don't care. Just go away, please. Please, Am not. just someone let the sun come up and end this dark, dark night of Shyamalan. Ma ding dong 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 dong. But if I learn nothing else from the film, I learn to stay off of farms, stay out of the deep south, And stay away from... up we are going to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies theater of blood from 1973 starring vincent price and uh, the luscious diana Rigg. wow how's that for a segue people we went from donna summer to shakespeare way to go patrick anyway in this film vincent price plays edward leinhardt who is this lifelong frustrated shakespearean actor who decides to get revenge on all those critics who humiliated him in their reviews all his life by killing them off to the great deaths of Shakespeare. Yeah. Now some of you who haven't seen it are probably saying, huh, that sounds a lot like Dr. Fibes. And you're right. But as other people have said, this movie's like Dr. Fibes for smart people. Okay, I say that. Fine, fine, fine. But it's not just that. It's about Shakespeare. Well, yeah, it is that it's about Shakespeare, so yeah, it's for smart people. You don't like it, you're stupid. No, I'm just kidding. And as I've learned today, not only is this one of my favorite movies, Theater of Blood is actually Vincent Price's favorite movie. Out of his entire body of work, this is the one he likes best. Probably because he was a trained Shakespearean actor, and once his movie career started, he never really got a chance to flex those muscles. But in this one, every time he kills somebody, he gets to spout a little Shakespeare, and when he's not hamming it up, He's damn good.
1: Look, Hector, how the sun begins to set. How ugly night comes breathing at his heels. Even with the violent darkening of the sun, to close the day up, Hector's life is done.
0: Ooh, goose pimples. So, yes, he's killing all these critics according to the death's in a specific in his final season of Shakespeare Plays. So there's a specific order to things, and half the fun is trying to figure out how it's going to go down. Because, eh, unlike Dr. Fives, it was kind of predictable how it was going to go down. You know, if it was a plague of bats, it would probably involve bats. If it was a plague of rats, you get my point. But in Shakespeare, not only is it how is he going to adapt this for modern times, but which one is he going to pick? There's never one death in a Shakespeare play. There's always a body count. And plus there's always the fun little spins he puts on things. For instance, in the Henry VI death involving the critic Miss Moon, the gay camp factor comes out to play. He tricks Miss Moon by posing as this highly sought after hairdresser and he shows up in this white leisure suit thing and this big orange afro wig and Vincent Price
1: just swishes. Hello, I'm Bud. Hey, dishy, dishy hair. <laughs> Can't wait to get my hands on it.
0: Of course, Miss Moon jumps at the opportunity to work with Butch, not knowing that she's about to be the central figure in a restaging of The Death of Joan of Arc.
2: He's a very funny role, does Butch? Naughty, naughty. Don't
1: touch. <laughs> Butch knows best. There's something new from Gay Perry. <laughs> but wait, the puns keep coming. Bring forth that sorceress condemned to burn. <laughs> That's from Henry VI, the Ducky. Here's part one. <laughs> it's a very interesting play, don't you think so, Miss Moon? Especially that scene where Joan of Arc dies at the stake. <laughs> Though I'm afraid you might find our novel version of it a bit of a shock. It appears
0: Miss Moon is going to be burnt at the stake, but not in the traditional way. She's strapped with these iron coils in her hair. She's got her feet in a bowl of water. I think you see where this is going. And it's all leading up to the worst pun of all.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Marky says, because she is a maid, spare for no faggots, let there be enow.
2: (laughs) Ha ha ha, you get it?
0: He's this flaming hairdresser, and he said, "Faggots!" Ha 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 ha. No, I'm not offended by this at all. Actually, it's being used in the proper manner. In this, in ye olde English, "faggots" means a bunch of sticks for the for the pyre. And if it doesn't, I'm not offended. Words don't hurt me. Fingers in the eye—that hurt me, but that's not the point right now. Anyway, something I learned during research on this film. It turns out that this actress who played Miss Moon, named Coral Brown, after this movie, she became Vincent Price's third and final wife. So love bloomed on the set of Theater of Blood. That was the worst song ever. Oh my God. What else do I like about this movie? I love its sense of humor. I love its intelligence. It assumes that its audience is intelligent, which you don't really get a lot in horror films. A lot of times there's a lot of talking down or pandering. I don't know how much fun it is for people who don't know Shakespeare, but you know what? You should have paid attention in Engel's class. I love that this movie isn't just campy, it's high camp. Now straight folks probably don't know what I mean by that. This regular camp where things are like kind of a little wacky and funny, but then this high camp where it's almost like operatic in its scope of campiness. I don't know if that's making any sense, and if it doesn't, oh well, you girls out there know what I mean. Anyway, and I love that Diana Rigg is in this. I love Diana Rigg. She's Mrs. Peel, man, from the Avengers. That woman could rock a pair of white go-go boots like nobody else. To this day, I know she's probably in her 70s right now. I still picture her in white go-go boots because that's the way I am. Personally, I think Diana R- Diana Rigg is one of my secondary gay icons. You know, I don't give a frick about Bette Midler or Judy Garland or fucking Barbara. No, no, no. Give me Diana Rigg. Give me Maggie Smith. Give me Haley Mills. But Diana Rigg is at the top of her game in this, and she's delightful to look at, delightful to listen to, and delightful all around. I like this movie a little bit better than the Dr. Fives films, too, because you get to spend a little bit more time with the victims. And the other ones, you literally just met them and they died. This, you get to get a little bit more insight in this. Uh, into them in this, and I appreciate that. It's very convenient that they are all either named after Shakespearean characters or have some kind of Shakespearean tragic flaw to exploit in their deaths. My problem with it is that the lead guy is a total douche. The main critic, God, I wanted him to die. Out of all the ones that get killed, he's the one I wanted dead and he doesn't die because he says shitty things like this.
1: Yeah you know, it's a funny thing, but you begin to resent an actor if you always have to give him bad notices. Can I just say fuck you? Or
0: rather, fucketh thou. I mean it's great that he's such an a-hole and is able to maintain that for the whole film, but he gets no come on, he doesn't learn anything. He's just a big an a-hole when the movie ends as when it starts. The other thing I'm that crazy about is that Vincent Price has followed around. He's assisted by this gang of hobos, which they're kinda and of, they're just distractingly goofy. They're all drinking these bottles of weird purple stuff. And to me, it looks like, well, I live in a primarily Latin neighborhood, and in the stores here, there's this cleaning product called Fabuloso that's the exact same color. And I wish it was a good product because it's called Fabuloso, and I would love having that in my house, but it's not, so I don't. But that's not the point right now. So he's followed around by these gang of hobos that drink Fabuloso, and I think it's silly. I just learned today that they're credited, these hobos, as methyl drinkers. And I didn't know what that meant, so I looked it up, and that means they're drinking Sterno. I don't know what Sterno looks like, but I don't think it looks like Fabuloso. Anyway, they're silly, but I can overlook it because the rest of the movie's awesome, and you should be watching it. You should be watching it right now. Stop listening to me and go rent this. No, don't stop listening to me. Ever. Theater of Blood, Vincent Price's possibly finest work. Go see it because it's The Creed's Choice.
2: Find and adopt tomorrow morning. Got a little something I wanna do Gonna buy
3: This is uh, the Zombart Colin. I've been enjoying your show. Um, pretty much every episode so far has been excellent. Thank um, you. I know you had said to call earlier if you had suggestions for the show, yes. and I thought of one that I guess you living in the center of the universe right now, uh, New York City, you would probably be the one podcast that would be best prepared to uh, look at this. And I'm thinking... Um, things like horror-themed uh, stage shows and uh, musicals and uh, the Broadway-type stuff. And I know that everyone immediately is like, "Oh, another Sweeney Todd. But I was thinking about things like um, the Toxic Avenger musical that came out or maybe Jekyll and Hyde. Um, I know Adam's Family is playing right now, and that has some horror elements to it. And I think there's a whole treasure trove of musicals and plays, I know, uh, I think Hitchcock's 39 Steps is still showing up there, that people outside that community, we don't even know it it exists, and I was wondering if you could, maybe not a regular segment, but just occasionally when you come across the show, like, Toxic Avenger has become one of my favorite musicals ever, I know it's closed recently,
0: Yeah, but it it, it 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 was
3: so put together and so, you know, just... Ah, I actually, I like it more than the actual movie at this point. And I don't know, I guess that's saying a lot, because I was a big fan for a lot of years of the uh, original. So I was wondering if you could do something like that, and I would love to hear your opinion, especially next year when Love Never Dies, the Phantom of the Opera 2 comes out, Um, because I already hate it with a passion, so I can't (laughs) wait to hear what you say about it. Uh, That's it. Keep up the good work, and I love the show. Bye.
0: Okay, thanks for calling, Zombart. That was cool. And I think you have a great idea there. Um, I actually thought about it, you know, uh, reviewing stage shows and stuff, but I dismissed it. But the way you packaged it, I like it better. And you're right. I'm going to cover some stuff. There is lots of stuff even you don't know about, sir. Um, But I couldn't agree with you more. The Toxic Avenger musical was fantastic. I begged people to go see it after I saw it. Nobody listened to me, but fuck them. I'm telling y'all. Um, and since I spoke to Lloyd Kaufman at the last Horror Hound, he told me that it's going on tour, so this seems like a really good time to start promoting it. So next week, expect some Toxic Avenger musical goodness. Okay, let's see who's next.
3: Hey, Patrick, it's Zombart. I'm calling back again because there was another comment I had <laughs> I forgot Dombart. to mention. Um, this is more of a comment to your friend you went to see Prana with, and he seemed to think that a, uh, a gay man could not appreciate the breasts in the Piranha movie. Yes. And yes. let me just say to all the gay, the uh, not the gay, the straight men out there, because as a straight man, uh, I lived amongst the gays down in Florida for many a year. <laughs> I am the veteran of four years of doing Rocky Horror, three years of uh, marching in the Pride Parade down there. I've also performed more than once at different clubs, um, I have never met a gay man who did not love breasts, Uh love them. And it's almost unfair because most of the girls I know will let a gay man just walk up, play, toss, you know, do whatever he wants to them. Whereas if I walked up, they would slap my hand and slap my face and stay fresh. So I don't know what it is, but, yeah, I've never met a gay man who didn't appreciate the breasticles. So, yeah, well-known fact that's out there, but it's true. Vagina, on the other hand, yeah, they hate yeah. it. Yeah! Uh, I, I, <laughs> same way that I'm, I've never met one that didn't like breasts, i never met one that enjoyed vagina. I guess that's uh, the line that's drawn. No. So next time you're watching Chuck and Larry, and you're watching Adam Sandler pretend he's gay, and go, ew, breasts, you could get as mad at it as I did. Um, That's it, bye. That got you mad in that movie?
0: Another great call, Zombar, thank you. And yes, it's true, um... As a gay man, we get passes to do anything to boobs that we want. I can motorboat your grandmama if I wanted to. Ew, but why would I want to? And yeah, the vagina, mm, mm, not so much. And especially, uh, in the past few years, there was this running gag when I was, every time I would see movies with the Night of the Living podcast crew, for some reason, they always featured some kind of exploding vagina. You know, exploding into maggots or exploding just exploding vaginas it's bad it's very bad um but yeah i the guy said it as a joke to me the whole thing about the boobs and i took it as a joke but really the jokes on the straight folks isn't it i like that you lived amongst the gays makes it sound like sigourney weaver and gorillas in the mist you are the jane woodall of gays was that her name who cares it's her name now Let's move on.
2: Wow, that voicemail lady sounds awfully attractive. Do you know if she's available for any dates? Anyways, this is Metal Mikey. That's right. The dumbass supreme of action attraction, Metal Mikey, calling in to Scream Queens. Yay! For some strange reason, I don't know why on my player I only have episode 2 listed, but episode 2 was my introduction to Scream Queens. And I have to say to you, Patrick, and you, Brad... I am very impressed already by your show quality. You're very punchy, damn hilarious, and what can I say? I have so many fond memories of you both that it's like I have inbred favoritism. Wait, inbreeding? What the fuck? Anyways, just wanted to congratulate you. I've already got the next two episodes loaded up on my uh, uploading queue, and I can't wait to get to them. So y'all take it easy. And remember, not all us podcasters have to rely on cats to, you know, totally dissuade us. You know, you could just be complete morons like myself. Generally throw myself over the, off the track, whatever. Anyways, take it easy, Patrick and Brad, and I will talk to you later, all right? Adios, bye. Okay, that
0: was Metal Mikey, host of the um, illustrious Action Attraction Podcast, which you should be checking out if action movies are your thing, because action movies are his thing. Metal Mikey, you're a dear, dear friend, and I totally appreciate your feedback. Um, so thank you for calling in. You are awesome. Awesome and totally metal. And no, the voicemail lady has a penis, so you don't want to date her, I think. Anyway, let's see who's next.
3: Hey, Patrick, this is uh, Zombard Colin. Uh, I know I've been spamming your uh, <laughs> your inbox <laughs> this week, but I had to call for this one. I'm walking out of the uh, Maryland premiere of All About Evil. Uh awesome. Christ brought the show to town for her 4D special feature. Yes. And I just wanted to say, I've seen you in a movie now. I mean, I saw you pop what? on screen and immediately I was like, holy shit, that's Patrick. I, I knew uh, he was talking about it, but I didn't realize he was in it. So, <laughs> very exciting. The movie is basically John Waters T's. But in that good kind of way that we all like and pray that yes. most movies will turn out. Uh, lots of blood, lots of in jokes, um, <laughs> lots of Friday the 13th references. But I have to say, it's on tour right now, the All About Evil show. It's really good.
2: Yes, it uh, Mink
3: Stole has been touring around with Peaches Christ. Uh, Mink Stole is the star of, well, pretty much the entire first half of John Waters' career. And they had like a special retrospective of her work and her films and everything. Pussy, and Peaches came out and sang Pussy songs Rolo. and it was oh it was a really nice nice evening and before the movie because uh Peaches grew up in Maryland, uh yeah, there was yeah, a whole yeah. thing with uh her family and like her mom and dad were here and her sister and like a, a whole bunch of people that inspired her. Mr. So Mr. it was It ended up being a really <laughs> nice night. So I was like, Oh, I'm glad I didn't go to the one that was in downtown Baltimore uh, tomorrow because that will probably be more um, probably not as homey and probably not as you know it'll probably be more gaudy for the city city folk. Um, but anyway, I had to call <laughs> because I seen you in the movie, Patrick. It was awesome. Everyone needs to go and see where all that evil is playing. I know they're yeah, playing absolutely. in Dragon Con next weekend, so Yay. by the time you get this podcast, we will be there. Uh, I told Peaches about your podcast. She was very excited about it. Oh, and <laughs> she then said that said she was so upset that you hadn't seen the movie yet. And I thought you had because I thought you reviewed it. But uh, she said, God. no, was on a plane to San Francisco or something. I was like, oh, shit. Well, I guess I'm not listening close enough. So, my bad. Anyway, I'm rambling on. I need to go to negotiate these mean streets of Silver Spring. So, I will talk to you later. Bye.
0: Wow. Uh, Zombard, I don't even know where to start with this. Um, I'm not in all about evil. I don't know who you think you saw, but believe me, if I was in it, I'd be telling everybody. I would have billboards. Uh, I don't know. I, you would know. I would not be hiding the fact that I'm in it. It was awesome and stuff, but I'm glad you saw it. I don't know who you thought I was. I don't know who Peaches thinks you thought I was, but it's probably that redheaded guy who was in Showgirls. That was the the news anchor – interviewer guy in the movie maybe is that who you're thinking of just because they're swishy and redheaded doesn't mean it's me usually shut up but i'm psyched that you saw the movie i'm glad you took my advice because i've been pitching that shit like crazy and nobody's listening to me i because god the guys at the blackfoot lounge podcast they just made fun of me their entire last episode they made fun of this show and they made fun of peaches and all this other stuff and allegedly it was all in good fun but you know what fuck them They don't know what they're missing. It's going to be this huge cult hit in a couple of years. And you heard about it first right here on Scream
3: Queens.
0: But thank you, Zombart, for looking out for me. And um, you're going to be seeing me in a movie soon, but I'm not allowed to talk about that yet. I'll keep y'all posted. Okay, that about wraps it up for this week. Um, Nothing on the schedule so far next week except for Toxic Avenger. And I got a whole lot of stuff for the crapshoot piled up, and oh, boy, is most of it crap. And hey, if you want to be wicked cool like Metal Mikey and Zombart, please contact me at the show. Give me a call at 347-767-3509, or fire me off an email at crew at screamqueens.com. That's Queens with a Z! You can like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. And that, of course, is at Scream Queens with a Z. All right, all well, y'all, take care of yourselves. See you next time. And as my grandmama
2: used to say, who the hell keeps putting ecstasy in my digitalis? Bye. I got
1: hunting for
3: witches.
2: Greetings, this is Flandy Gargoyle. Some of the music for tonight's podcast was brought to you courtesy of Mavio's music service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. ha! <laughs>